The following is a podcast of Echo, a middle school ministry at Victory Family Church. For more details, visit lifeatvictory.com slash middle school. Side by side in order to stretch this entire planet. If you started at one side and you started driving 60 miles an hour, it would take you 75 days of nonstop driving in order to get across this mega planet. And yet in Genesis 1, it says that our God made the planets with his his breath. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in the morning, it takes me like 15 minutes and a whole lot of effort just to make scrambled eggs. But our God's making planets with his breath. That's a powerful and mighty God. Amen. Now, I'm going to go one step further because in Hebrews 1, it says that our God holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand. Did you know, as you're going to see on this next slide, that scientists estimate our universe is over 30 billion light years wide. So to put that in context, that means this. If you were in a rocket ship traveling at the speed of light, that's 220 million miles every single hour. If you were traveling that fast, it would still take you 30 billion years to get from one side of our universe to the other side, and yet God holds that entire distance in the palm of his hand. Now, I'm going to go one step further, and you might say, how can you go one step further than holding 30 billion light years of distance in the palm of your hand? Well, it's this, guys, the very same God that holds the universe in the palm of his hand and placed every single planet and placed every single star is able to look down through that expanse and see you. And he says this about you, as they're going to show on the slide here. He looks at you and he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that within all of his creation, planets and stars and the whole universe, you are his masterpiece, his greatest work. He also says that before you were born, he knew you, he valued you, and he loved you. So I want you to hear me right now. If you're here in Echo tonight and you're living and you're breathing, it doesn't matter what cards have been dealt to you in life, what's been said to you, what's been done to you. God made you on purpose. And even more, God made you for a purpose. In Jeremiah 1, God says this. God says this to you. The God who created the entire universe and all therein says this to you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. In Jeremiah 29, he echoes himself and says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for a hope and plans for a future. So not only were you made on purpose, you were made for a purpose and your life has meaning. But I'm not going to talk about how to discover God's purpose for your life today because he took me in another direction. He put a question in my heart that I struggled with for many, many years. To this day, I still don't have it perfect. And it's a question that I felt was absolutely essential for you to ask yourselves and for you to get right. And that question is this. What's the purpose behind your purpose? What's the purpose behind your purpose? Or if I say it another way, why are you doing the things that you're doing, okay? This is an important question for us to get right because they're gonna show a statement up on here that God hit me with. 
in this next slide. A God-given purpose will never be sustained by man-driven motivation. Okay, hear it this way. A God-given purpose, the purpose that God gives you for your life, will never be sustained, will never be fulfilled, will never come to pass if it's only being powered by your motivation or by selfish ambition. You'll never realize God's very best for you, and it'll never get through you. So what does that mean? That means if you're coming here to church on the weekends, and you're raising your hands during worship, and you're giving money in the bucket, and you're serving somewhere in the church, or you're doing any good thing outside of the church, but you're doing it for the wrong reason, or only to please yourself, you're never going to get out of it everything that God has for you. And I can tell you this from experience. I told you that I struggled with this question. They're going to show you a slide of me up here. Okay? I joined the adult worship team of this church when I was only 15. So 15 years old, I got on that adult worship team over there. I was newly saved. I was learning about God. He's moving in my life. I was like having my mind blown by him all the time. And I was super excited about it. And I wanted to tell God how much I loved him. And I wanted to help other people experience it as well. So I joined this worship team and I stood on that stage and I worshiped hard, okay? I let my passion for God show. If you've ever seen me on the worship team. I mean, I clap and I jump and I kind of dance and I'm expressive with my face and I sing loud. And it was all an expression of my passion for God. But what I didn't see coming was the comments and praise from other people. And very quickly, I'd go out into the lobby and people would come up to me and they'd be like, dude, you went after it on, on the stage today for worship. You were so excited during worship. Or we love watching you worship. Now, you know, up to that point in my life, I had never really had anybody tell me I was good at something or tell me that they were proud of me for something. So when these people gave that to me, man, I, I ate that up with a spoon. I loved it because it made me feel good about myself. And very quickly, my focus started turning. My motivation, my purpose for being up on that stage started turning from being there to glorify God to instead get other people to glorify me. And it got so bad that I would sing and then hurry up and get out to the lobby to maximize how many people could potentially give me a good comment. I'm just being honest. And it even got to the point where if nobody said anything nice to me, I, I actually got kind of like sad or depressed a little bit because my, my thoughts, my value all depended on what they were saying to me. So at a certain point when I finally realized all of this and how far off the path I had gotten, I actually quit the team. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing it for the right reason. It's not fulfilling me anymore. And I have to get myself straight. And I took time off. I'm here tonight talking to you about this because if you are doing the same thing, it's going to lead to the same results. You know, I, I want you to connect with me. Your story might not be the same as mine, but have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Have you ever had ulterior motives for why you were giving or saying or doing something? If you let that start to rule you, it will take over and limit all that God can get, not only to you, but through you to others. 
Now, you might sit there and say, I think you're kind of overreacting. It's, it's fine to work on yourself. It's, it's fine to want to feel good. And it is to a point. But I also think that especially you guys and girls are living in a society that is trying to constantly teach you to only think about yourself, to only be a consumer for yourself. But in Romans, we're told not to live according to the way of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that means knowing what God has to say about it. So I want us to see tonight, how does God feel whenever we do the right thing for the wrong reason? I think he shows us that perfectly in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Let me set this up for you. Jesus, he's died on a cross. He's been buried He rose from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. He ascended into heaven and he told his disciples, go into all the world, preaching and teaching about me and building my church. And they went after it hard. They started growing the church by the thousands. And the believers were encouraging one another. They were praying together. They were doing church together. And they were even financially supporting each other's needs. And in Acts chapter 4, it focuses specifically on one guy. And it says this, One of the believers was named Joseph. The apostles called him Barnabas. This means one who encourages. He was a Levite born in Cyprus. Joseph owned a field. He sold it, brought the money, and gave it to the church. So this guy owned a whole bunch of land. He sold it. He gave all the money to the church, and he said, you guys do what you want with it. And the believers were so encouraged that they even changed his name to mean one who encourages. In their eyes, this guy was a rock star. And yeah, they gave him some praise, just like you and I would say thank you to somebody who gave us a nice gift. But then we get into Acts chapter 5. And this is where we meet Ananias and Sapphira. They were a married couple. And just like Joseph, they owned land. And just like Joseph, they sold the land and gave the money to the church. But they had very different outcomes. So let's read through their story, and then we'll chat about it. It says, A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold some land, but he gave only part of the money to the apostles. And here's the key part. He secretly kept some of it for himself. His wife knew about it and agreed to it. So basically, they came to the apostles and said, Hey, guess what, Pete? We sold our land for $500,000, when really they sold it for a million. And they said, and we want to give all $500,000 of the sale to you. Nice, feeling good, right? But old Pete here, he's led by God. And he says, Ananias, why did you let Satan rule your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. Why did you keep part of the money you received from the land for yourself? Before you sold the land, it belonged to you, didn't it? And even after you sold it, you could have used the money any way you wanted. So why did you think of doing this? You lied to God and not to man. And holy cow, Ananias hears this, falls down, and dies. That's a bad day in church, okay? Now, three hours later, his wife comes in. She didn't know what happened. And Peter says to her, Sapphira, tell me how much money you got for your field. Was it $500,000? He's given her a chance, and she lies and says, yeah, that's, that's every last bit of it. And Peter says, why did you and your husband agree to test the spirit of the Lord like this? And she also fell down and died. Now, I'd have to say, what the heck is up with that? I mean, Joseph sold land, gave money, 
And he got praise. Ananias and Sapphira sold land, gave money, and they got dead. Like, there is a big difference in this story, okay? And I thought it was a good thing to give money to the church. I thought it was a good thing to sacrifice, and yet it cost them their life. So what's the difference? You're going to see this phrase right here. The difference was motivation, and motivation made all the difference. Why did Joseph give? He gave because he loved God and just wanted to love God's people. Why did Ananias and Sapphira give? Why did they lie about the amount? Because the whole entire thing was a setup just to get praise and glory for them, for them to build up position and clout amongst the believers. And God will not share his glory like that. It made a huge difference. Now, it's really easy to misunderstand this and say, well, no, God was just kind of being mean, like he punished them because they didn't give all the money. But honestly, I can tell you with full confidence, I don't think God cares how much we're giving. He cares about why we're giving, why we're doing the things that we're doing. And I can show that to you here in Mark 12. There's a specific uh, passage where Jesus is outside of the church and he sat down near where the offerings were being put, and he watched the crowd. The crowd was coming. They were putting their money into the temple treasury. And it says this, many rich people threw in large amounts of money, but a poor widow came and put in two very small coins worth only a few cents. And watch what Jesus says to his disciples. Truly, guys, I'm telling you the absolute truth. This woman has put more into God's treasury than all the other people combined. Now, if God really cared how much you were giving, then that statement wouldn't be correct. So what that tells me is God is more concerned with your heart, your motivation, the purpose behind your purpose, why you're doing what you're doing. And we can even see this in 1 Samuel as well, where it says God does not see the same way that you and I do. We people we look at the outside. We look at what people are doing and saying. But God is looking at your heart. It's easy for people to come up here and raise their hands and look like they've got it all together like I did. But underneath, not only could they be dealing with things, but they could have motivations that aren't exactly aligned with God. So God's looking at your heart. And so we need to ask ourselves this question getting real serious, getting real deep here. If God were to look at your heart, what would he see? When you're giving, when you're worshiping, when you're serving, when you're doing good, would he see a heart that's purely motivated by love for him and his people, or would he see a heart that's focused only on meeting its own needs? You know, before I had my motive straight and I was on the worship team, I was trying to balance both of these. I thought that I could be up here and be the guy that looked like he had it all together and loved God and loved people, but on the side, I also had another part of me that wanted to get the glory. And in James chapter 7, or sorry, James 1 verse 7, the Bible says this, he who doubts is thinking two different things at the same time, like I was. He can't decide who he wants to be. A person like that should not think they'll receive anything from the Lord, and I didn't. My worship became stale, and I wasn't getting God's best. 
Eventually, I hit a point where I didn't want that. And right now, guys, I'm telling you, I don't want that for you either. I want God's best for you, and I want God's best to work through you. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we get our motives straight? How do we get them correct? And this is the verse that God hit me with this week when I was thinking about that in Luke. It says, the person who makes themselves humble will be made great. In our world of Instagram and Facebook and all of the other social media channels, you guys are constantly being told in order to be great, you have to make it happen. You have to push and you have to grind and you have to have the most followers and you have to be the most creative and you have to work and work and work and work to make yourself great. But the Bible goes against the grain and says the person who humbles themselves will be made great. So it hit me with four ways that we could be humble to try to get our motivations directed towards God only. Number one, and this is a hard one for us, especially if you don't like authority. You have to humble yourself and ask God to forgive you if you did the right thing for the wrong reason. And I think a lot of people overthink asking God for forgiveness. It can honestly be just like this. God, I messed up, uh, and I'm definitely wrong. I come up here on the weekends, and I worship because I love how it feels when people tell me that I'm good at this. And I know that's wrong, and I keep doing it, and I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness, and I pray for strength to help me step away from this and focus only on you. That's honesty, and that's humility with God. Just recognize it, and he is willing to forgive. And that's the only point where you can move forward. Number two, you need to humble yourself and evaluate, why am I saying this? Why am I doing this before you say it and do it? And think to yourself, am I about to say this just because I want to impress somebody? Am I about to do this because I want people to tell me something nice about myself? And if the answer is yes, be willing to not say anything or be willing to step back and not act. Yeah, you might not get to be part of a conversation. Yeah, you might look like you're not taking any action. But God will see your heart behind that act. And he will respect your choice to humble yourself and to please him. And he will build character within you. I've been trying to do this more and more in my life. I don't know if you ever really pay attention to yourself in conversations. When you get in a conversation with somebody... Try to pay attention to how much you only talk about you. Who knows what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I did that. Or, oh, we have a vacation home here. Or, oh, yeah, I got this thing for Christmas. Or, I, 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 me, me, me. See what you have to say when instead all you're doing is asking somebody else about them. You might find that you really don't have much to say because you haven't practiced focusing on other people. So analyze and humble yourself when you think about what you're going to say and do. Number three. Find a mentor to talk to about this stuff. Maybe it's a pastor, your small group leader, a parent, a sibling that's older than you and wise in the ways of God. But go to them and, and talk to them and say, hey, I did this, and here's the reason I did it. What do you think of that? And then you guys get in a discussion, and they share some scriptures with you, and they share their perspective, and they share some experiences they've had. You can't go at life alone. 
God made us to do life together, to connect. And when you do, when you talk with someone openly, that's humbling yourself. God says he'll make you great. So find somebody that you can talk to about this openly and get some direction. And the last point that I want to talk about is the, uh, is the band comes back out. Um, because when we finish this, I'm going to have you guys just, just prepping you. I'm going to have you come up to the stage, and I'm going to pray something over you, and we're going to sing one song, and then we'll do our altar call. The last thing that we have to do to humble ourselves is we've got to fall in love with God. How can you be motivated only by your love of God if you don't love God? It's like you can't give $20 to somebody if you don't have $20. Okay, so how can I be motivated by love for God if I don't love God? And how can I love God if I don't know God? And how can I know God if I'm not humbling myself and getting in his word? We all don't spend enough time in God's word, I'm sure. I will be the first to raise my hand. Whether that's listening to a podcast, coming to church, getting in the Bible, talking about it with your small group leader. But the more we're in his word, the more we know him. Then we start, hey, this guy's pretty awesome. And you start to fall in love with him. And then the next thing you know, it's like, I want to do this because I just want to please God. So I know that's deep message there. And that's a lot to hold on to. But I think it's really important that you guys get challenged with that right here and now. No matter how young you are, you need to hear it because it's going to drive you. And it's going to give you something to focus on as you go forward. So like I said, what I'm going to do when I say to is I'm going to ask you to come up to the front. Because I just want us to have a moment during worship where we're reflecting on this topic. If we've done the right thing for the wrong reason. So I want everybody to come up out of their seats and come forward and stay quiet. We're staying focused on God in this time. This isn't about high-fiving a friend or telling a joke or, you know, if you've, uh, if you got some Pokemon cards or something like that that you're trying to mess around with, you could stay in your seat. We're coming up here to have a moment. And it only happens when you're focused. So I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. God, I felt pressed by you to share this message because we have a lot of young people in this room that are being heavily influenced by our culture, that are being told it's all about them. And I know how increasingly difficult it makes it then to walk into church where we're told that we have to be only motivated by our love for somebody else. I pray that this message that you gave us tonight would reach into their hearts, would shake up the way that they think about themselves, would shake up the way that they think about becoming great, and that they would see it the way you see it, that they are to humble themselves, that they're to care more about you and other people, and that is the way to make the biggest impact in this world. Father, you are a great God. You created planets. You created the universe. You created all life. But you didn't do it for yourself. You did it to show us your love. You did it so that you could pursue us. You are the ultimate example of living selflessly. And so I pray over this moment and our students right now that they would take time to reflect. And guys, if, if you've done the right thing for the wrong reason, if you've served in church for the wrong reason, I want you to take time to think about that. Ask God for forgiveness in this moment. Pray that out. 
and start to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I want to be honest. The Christian life is not an easy one. It's not an easy one. It takes a lot of challenge. It takes a lot of thinking. You got to question it. You got to get to moments like I did where I realized, dang, I had got it all wrong so that God could build me back up and take me to a better place and a higher place. You know, I read something this weekend in a devotional where it said if Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, had come off the court and said to his coach, man, this would just be a lot easier if nobody was in my face trying to stop me. The coach would say, we're not paying you to score baskets when there's no challenge. We're paying you millions of dollars to score baskets, even though the challenge is in your face. Okay, the Christian life is worth the challenge. It's worth going through it. It's worth being here on a weekend to hear truth. Yeah, you might have to take some time away from friends or from games or whatever it else is you could be doing with your time, but it's here that God is building you for the future he's made for you. So I thank you for being here with us in this time of worship, and I'm praying that you take what's been said over you and you work it through tonight. You work it through this week and you really spend some time thinking about it. Now I just want to have us close our eyes and bow our heads again because I know there's those of you in this room who maybe have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're, you're wanting to start the walk with God. You see the challenge, but you're willing to go forward anyway because Jesus never said it would be easy. He said you would have trial, but he said you would be with you. So the only way forward is acceptance and forgiveness from him first, and then you start moving through this life with other like-minded believers like us in your corner. So if you're in this room tonight and you've never openly raised your hand and received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna count down from three. Nobody else is looking around. You're gonna do this privately. And then we are all just going to pray a prayer to receive Christ together as one family. So if that's you and you want Jesus Christ to come into your life, save you and change you and take you on this amazing journey, I'm gonna count down from three because God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. One, if you want Christ, raise your hand. If you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, thank you. Raise your hand. Thank you. God, a simple act of surrender in your eyes is like that mega planet. It's huge for you. You say that when one person receives Christ, the angels rejoice in heaven. And I thank you, God, we're receiving more tonight. So if you raised your hand, you're going to speak this out loud from your mouth, just like everybody else in the room, and Christ will come into your heart and never leave you. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, for creating me, and for pursuing me. I've not lived my life for you, but now I'm turning it over to you. I receive the forgiveness of my wrongs, I say that Jesus is my Lord, I am heaven bound, and I'm living for you. Amen. Amen. Come on, put a little clap together. Now, I don't know if they have this slide ready back there, but we have a, uh, do you guys have the salvation slide? The texting slide? Yay? Nay? I don't know if you have it. No? Okay. 
We're gonna have to figure that out because we actually have a way of, oh, boom, here we are. Okay, so if you raised your hand tonight and you received Christ, we don't want you to think now it's just time to go it alone. It's time even more to get some help. So all you have to do is text the word CHANGED, could be lowercase, could be capital, doesn't matter, uh, text CHANGED to 97000. And immediately, we're going to text you back, and you're going to get a link that's going to take you to a video of Ben Welcome You to God's Family. It's going to give you a 14-day devotional that you can read through a little piece, one by one each day, and it's going to start to direct you on how to get started in your walk with God. It is super, super helpful. So if you raise your hand, don't be embarrassed about it. At any time, follow those directions. You could take a picture of the screen if you want and do that because we want to hear from you, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys to go back to your seats at this time because I guess we'll be dismissing into our small groups. It was an awesome night. Thank you, guys. Thank you, team.